Yo, mic check. What's up, everybody? You're listening to the Street Pricing Podcast, the only show where proven SaaS leaders share their mindset and mistakes in pricing so we can all stop guessing and start growing. Enjoy, subscribe, and tell a friend. Now, let's break it down with your host and sought-after slayer of bad pricing, Marcos Rivera. What's up and welcome everybody to another episode of the Street Pricing Podcast. I'm Marcos Rivera, author, entrepreneur, and pricing coach. And today I am bringing someone who I'm ultra excited about because this person was head of pricing at Marketo. Think of these names, right? Marketo, Gainsight, Coupa, and now at ClickUp. Think about the experience and the amount of pricing experimentation and changes and successes, like all those key things. I am bringing someone here that has done all that and is going to share some deep stories today. Excited to bring to the stage here, Johnny Cheng. Welcome, Johnny. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Super excited to get started. No, man. Listen, you you are representing the Bay in a good way. All right. You've done all these different types of companies, small ACV, large ACV, enterprise, mid-market, small. You've done it all. And I am super excited to jump in with you today. I do, though, have to really uh, strike at you right out of the gate because I just found out that you are in San Diego. You did not reach out and say hello to me. Damn you, Johnny. There's so many good taco shops out there. I got next, time, next time. Next time. I, I promise <laughs> next time. Okay. Promise. We got you. I got it. It's on tape, by the way, now. So you got to, you got to follow up on that one. Listen, real quick, before we get into things, tell everyone what you do today at ClickUp, just a little bit about you. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So just to, you know, reset a little bit. I mean, I've, you know, been a pricing leader for, you know, over 10 years now. Just various SaaS companies, like Marcos mentioned, from like small to really big. And right now I'm at ClickUp. And so at ClickUp, I, you know, currently head up monetization, basically just everything that has to do with revenue. So like monetization, NDR, expansion, new business, all that stuff. And so, you know, like we've done some really incredible pricing packaging changes over the past year and decided to share some stories. Oh man, you have done a lot. I know some of them, but I'm really excited to break it open here. So here's how we set up the show, right? Real simple. We're going to do uh, three different talks here. Rewind. Let's talk about the past. What big pricing change or story that, that you could share with us? I want to hear struggle. I want to hear the real deal uh, and digging into that change and then share it with the world. The next one here is going to be bringing it back to the present. I call it play. So what is working for you nowadays? What's really bearing a lot of fruit? And then we're going to talk fast forward. What's next? What do you want to change? Where are you going to go with the pricing and packaging? And then at the end, we're going to wrap things up with my favorite question, which is tell me your favorite song. 90s hip hop gets a special bonus, but doesn't have to be. So think about that. Keep that in the memory bank in the back of your mind. But let's start off with a great pricing story. Johnny, let's talk about it. Yeah, I'm going to go way, way, way back. And this actually has to do with Marcos. And so you guys are in for a cool treat. So about... 10, 11 years ago, I was at a company called Marketo. A lot of you guys know Marketo. It was the leader in marketing automation space. I mean, it kind of revolutionized that whole marketing automation, email marketing, mobile marketing space. And so I was there and I was basically head of pricing uh, uh, for Marketo. And when I first joined, we were a single product company. Even though we were rapidly growing all these different you know, products, features, and everything, we were still only single threaded, right? And so if you think of like us going to market, the value is just did not align with the price. We would sell something that would be incredibly valuable to certain people. And it would be the same price as if you're going in and, you know, someone doing newsletters. 
right? And we're like, God, like this technology is just amazing. Just so many different use cases. And so we ended up going to a platform and apps model. So it was a very, very big change at the time, right? So we're like, you know what? There's all these different audiences. There's all these different plays. We need to package our product so that it speaks to those individuals so that we can correctly monetize. And at, the, at that time, it was actually really scary, right? Like a lot of the e-staff were like really against it. They're like, nope, we just do one thing. And then it took a, you know, a ton of research to try to convince them. It's like, no, there's this distinct value for like consumer marketing, for mobile marketers, for, you know, people that do just need newsletters, right? And then so we did this is huge... so big. I'm sorry, John. I got to no, 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 because no. you said packaging. And when people think of pricing, they think of that number, right? Like, oh, okay, it should it be 99? Should it be 109, et cetera? But you're taking it now to actually, guys, it's the, it's the way we package the product that's actually going to unlock a lot more value and revenue. And I want everyone to hear this is that pricing is not just about that number at the end. And if you're running a B2B SaaS company, you're thinking about what should my price be? You might want to take a further step back and wonder, is your packaging even right? So exactly. I think you're hitting on a really key point there, John. Keep going, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, I was just remind people, it's like, it's pricing and packaging, right? It's not just <laughs> pricing. That's just it's very clear. That's very right. Clear. Yeah. And so we went through this whole model where we just like tore down every single feature and we actually we, we, we rebuilt it like Legos, right? It was like, think of like the, each individual pieces as each individual feature and we rebuilt the whole entire thing. I mean, it was a month-long exercise we started off with hundreds i mean seriously hundreds of features and then we're like how how do we bucket it who are the right you know target audiences for this feature how much is it worth how competitive is it which is whole exercise and we built these you know think of it as you know four or five solutions and so it's almost like a first step towards solution price right? and so it was it was an unbelievable process and at that time it was actually very new in the industry I don't think people want to do that. You went and you took all your features, which were a lot, right? Because you're pretty robust. Yeah. And you started scoring them on those dimensions, right? Who really wants it, the value of it, ability to monitor it, all that stuff, right? Yeah. For the audience, I got to understand, did you just plop them in a spreadsheet and just started scoring them out piece by piece? <laughs> we did. We, we still, yeah, there's, there's a spreadsheet that lives in Marketo somewhere. That's just, I mean, it's like 500 rows long and we just started scoring everyone and it's really funny because like the CEO started getting involved. Like a lot of people are like, people are very opinionated and very passionate about it. And once you start seeing the patterns, it's like, it's magic. It just clicks, right? Like you start to understand that there's different groupings, different audiences, different values. And then once it clicks, like that's when actually things actually speed up and you come up with these, like, I call it modules, right? And based off of those modules, that's where you build the platform and apps. And so like, it just all came together and it was, it was amazing. That is phenomenal. Selling the right value to the right customer the right way. I mean, it, it sounds easy the way I say it. It's actually really hard to nail down. But once you see the patterns, it, it gets easier, man. Keep going. Okay, so now you went through this. It sounds like a grind. You went through it. Took about a month. Like, keep going for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, you know, I think I think the there was actually two big hurdles here, right? The first one was obviously the go-to-market side. And because we were, you know, B2B, we had a huge sales team. Now all of a sudden it's to get sales bought in. And I cannot stress it enough. I've talked to so many companies where the pricing professional or you know someone that's responsible for pricing, they do it in a vacuum and they don't talk to the, the sellers. The sellers are the ones actually going to go out to sell the value of it. And if you don't get them on board, and that was one of the first things my mentor told me when we first started this project was get the sellers involved, right? Make sure that they're heard. Get them involved because at the end of the day, if you're going to go do value selling, they're the ones that have to go do it. 
And so that was hurdle number one. And, you know, right as we started going, I got a couple of the sales leaders basically on board and they were my voice. They were my advocate for that whole entire team. Right? That was 100% crucial. And if I didn't do that, it would not have been successful. This is something I have to underscore here because getting sales on board, it's a phenomenal thing to do because it does kind of validate and it also allows you to rule out a lot faster. But here's the thing. Most companies struggle with getting sales on board. But you did it, right? You had buy-in from the get-go. Give, give me a little bit more behind that because I bet you there's folks listening right now who are thinking like, damn, how do I get my salespeople on board with new pricing and packaging? What? I mean, did you bribe them with uh, with lunch? I mean, how did you get them bought in? Yeah, I think there's a couple of things, right? One is like, what is the upside for them, mm. right? And they felt the same struggles too, right? They were going into deals. Sometimes they were like, I, I want to do a negative discount because I'm talking to this customer that absolutely loves the product. And they're going to use it for all these amazing things. And I just can't sell it at the right price. Like, I need you to tell me what that price is. And so I was selling the vision of what they're going to get out of this, right? The vision is, if we do this correctly, you can now monetize correctly for different types of customers. And when they saw that, it's just like dollar signs in their eyes, right? They're like, yes, like, that's what I want. And then you basically set the guidelines. You set like a guided selling process for them. And all of a sudden, like they start to realize like, hey, like for this deal that used to be $1,000, it's probably worth three, 4,000 and I can sell it at that price, right? And so they'll feel very confident to do it. And so once you once you get to start thinking about that, they're, they're 100% bought it. First of all, I think a lot of folks probably had never heard the term negative discount, right? I think you're, uh, but it is a nice way if you're, if you have a target for your sales rep in the background, a list price, but then able to sell a bit above that. This is kind of testing a little bit of that headroom in the price point. I've seen companies do it and do it well. But uh, the thing that you said that I think struck me the most is the aligning to what they really want. And you did something that I want everybody to understand what you just did. You took a deal that was worth a thousand dollars in the old model and said, look at what you could sell it for in the new model. Old model, new model. Look at all this extra uh, compensation and and, and revenue coming your way. This is why you want to do this pricing model. And listen, nothing talks to sales better than showing them how the mechanics benefit them. And uh, I think that's it. The old model, new model. The old model, new model. And just compare it. I love it. I love it. So straightforward. Yeah. And and I would say the the other hurdle is, once your pricing model gets a little bit complex, this is actually where you provide them with the right tools. And so I think the second step is, you know, people pass the first, first hurdle and they're like, great, fantastic. Let's try to roll this out. But oftentimes it's, it's a change in a model and the framework. And so you don't want sales confused. You don't want them to second guess themselves. And so you got to provide them the right tools, right? And so I built this pricing calculator. We ended up launching CPQ. And so the right tools for them to actually understand and utilize the model effectively. Because what you don't want to do is just sell all the hype and then just say, okay, go do it. And then they're like, I don't even know how to price this correctly. I don't know what the right levers are. And so you go through this like whole sales tools, sales enablement process that follows that. And that's a big, big part of you know getting them on board as well. Yeah, I, I love that. First, you're making it attractive by simply saying you're going to make more money in this model. And then second, you say, you know what? And I'm going to make it easier for you. Exactly. We're going to automate uh, quotes so you don't have to think all the time and have to go through these hurdles. We're going to make it easy for you to to navigate the deal, give you some flex, like all these things. So you get the be- benefit of the extra revenue and you get the, the sort of smoother uh, and easier um, uh, effort and, and work around that. So now I got two things. It's easy and it's making me more money. Exactly. What can appeal to a sales rep more than that, right? Exactly. So uh, those two hurdles are so, so key that you pointed out. Oh, man, what else? 
What else? Yeah. Can <laughs> so, you know, I, I think, you know, one of my proudest moments was we actually ended up launching this uh, alongside our old model, right? And we did this. And, you know, you can't really, in that environment, in that B2B environment, you can't really A-B test. And so this was like sort of an A-B test where you kind of had two models, in, at, you know, running simultaneously. And it, I just let the reps pick, right? There were some reps who were way more bought in than other ones. And I'm like, go ahead and just use a new model, see what happens, things like that. And, you know, within the first three months, it was very apparent, right? We saw a drastic difference. Like there were deals that were on average, like 40, 50% higher in, in terms of ASV. And it's really funny because we, we kind of did this organically and you can kind of tell the sales force once they saw the dollars from their, from their colleagues, they just all started like slowly shifting, shifting, shifting it over. And we didn't even kill the old model, but by like month five or six, like just no one was using the old model anymore. Because we were like, this works, this is proven. I'm now hitting quota and they just loved it. And so they just gravitated towards it. Like I've never seen that before. And I think that was just such an awesome phenomenon to see. So you just let the adoption speak for itself, like yeah. th- which is great. L- listen to everybody. I mean, you're probably wondering like, holy crap, how do you run two models side by side? How do you give that optionality to sales? Isn't that like super uh, riddled with friction and confusion? And that's really scary. But you did it. You did it for nine uh, for 90 days, for three months, right? Yeah, yeah. And you started noticing. You gave them freedom. You said, here's the old model. Fine. Here's the new model, everything that uh, comes with it. You said, you can pick and choose as you go through your deals. And here's a key thing about salespeople. Salespeople, very competitive. They're also very smart at finding the shortest path from A to B. And so when you find the shorter path from A to B, you just gravitate there. That's what you want to use. And then when one rep sees the competitive, uh, oh, you're doing that? Hey, let me try that too. Let me do that. And let me do that. And then you'll see this kind of very natural shift to the new model. So it's not like you're cramming it down their throat, right? You're kind of saying, hey, here it is. Here's the way you're comfortable and familiar and used to selling. And go ahead and, and you have the option to choose either one. Give me a little bit of how did you fight the friction and the confusion of having two models? Yeah. So you mentioned the whole like cramming down their throats. That was our backup option, right? And so we, 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 we were definitely, we, we were like, I would say like 80% confident that this would just be like or, organically baked up. Like we love the model. We shopped it around. People all loved it. And so we're like, we're pretty sure. But that 20%, which is our backup plan, is like, if this doesn't work out, or if let's say we did this simultaneously and sales are resistant to change, then we would have like, you know, forced their hand to do it. But, you know, I would say like the biggest point, and it goes back to all the sales tools. There's a lot of friction there, but it's friction that already exists. And so in a new model, when you provide them the tools, you know, with the calculator, with CPQ, it actually removes some of the friction. So they're like, oh, all the all the pain that we have to currently go through, that actually solves some of it, right? And so, you know, you think of like deal desk, you think of how, you know, deal velocity and how it gets passed and how it gets approved. All of a sudden they're like, well, that's automatic now. And so, you know, a lot of the friction is actually gone now, which is just, you know, like, I, I feel like I'm going to emphasize this again. Without the tools, there would have been more friction, which would have been really bad. Right. Because sales is like, first of all, resistance to change. Second of all, there's even more friction now. I can now choose which model. And this probably would have been dead in the water. And so without those tools, I, I can't emphasize enough. That's what removes some of the friction. That is a key unlock there because you're, yes, there was some friction because now you have two options of, of models to sell versus one. 
which is harder, but you took away so much other friction with exactly. the automation and the guardrails and all the other key That's things exactly that you were able to kind of couch that in there. And therefore they were able to accept a new friction, which worked in your favor because in the end they're like, Ooh, this new model works so much better. So take me down to the results, right? Cause you just mentioned 40 to 50% ASP average selling price increase, but man, your conversion rates must've tanked, right? You know what's really funny? They did it because we had, uh, so this initiative was actually driven by PMM, so by product marketing. And so we did one hell of an amazing job speaking to the target buyers. If you have that rep, like that messaging perfect that speaks to that mobile marketer, that speaks to that consumer marketer, that email marketer, they eat it up, right? Because they're like, whoa, this, this solution bundle, this plan is custom made for me. And they're more than willing to pay extra for it. Right. Because they're like, you're basically tailoring these set of features and speaking my language. And so that's the other part where, I mean, I'm a firm believer that, you know, that you have to get product marketing involved in any kind of price change because they're the ones that understand what the customer wants and what they care about. You're defying logic, man, but it's so true, right? You're defying logic. 40 to 50% higher prices or average selling price should mean you're selling less because people don't want to buy it. But what you're revealing here, is if you if the buyer feels like you're giving them exactly what they want, you get me, you know me, you can do that. You can actually pull it off. And I think that's a, a big myth buster that you just kind of yep. said there is, hey, we captured higher prices, our sales um, you know, kind of went down, but we got more average selling price. And so the net net is fine. You're like, no, 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 not net net. We actually got higher prices and our conversion rate still held yep. strong. So we were you know, really feeling the lift after the pricing change. Yeah, and and I think the the my proudest moment. So this is where Marcos came in, right? At the time, Marcos was uh, with uh, Vista Equity, and he came in. He's like, "I'm going to evaluate your pricing model after the change." And we I remember went through this whole exercise, and you know, seriously, I like this is the proudest achievement. I remember you gave us like a five out of five, and I was like, just I was like just over the moon. I was like. Marco Cervera gave me a five out of five. And like you were talking to like hundreds of companies back then, right? And so you're like, you are basically the best of the best. And I was just like, that's it. I, I can retire at that point. And so if that result speaks for itself, because that was not an easy assessment, Marco. Like that was that was hard. And so I have I'm going to tell you, I think I only gave maybe like three or four or five out of fives out of the entire, like that entire bunch of a hundred companies. So yes, yeah, you yeah. were cream of the crop, but think about what you just did, man. The, the, the getting the buy-in, the tooling, the, the analysis up front started with the grind. Listen, not everybody has like fancy, you know, analytical usage software out there. So you had to get in and get really familiar, yeah. even from the CEO down. What, uh, feature value do we want to give to each audience and understand those differences and then applying it? testing it, proving it in multiple ways, and then messaging around it in such a in such a pithy and clear and focused way. And then the results spoke for itself. I mean, obviously, everyone knows the story with Marketo getting sold to Adobe for like a gajillion dollars, right? And that's a technical <laughs> term. But uh, but you guys deserve it. You guys did a phenomenal job. So I rated you high. And the results kind of spoke for themselves, man. Yeah, Listen, yeah. fantastic story behind there because I think not a lot of people know kind of how that how that went down and how they were able to, to capture so much more of that value. So let's now bring it forward and uh, back here to the present, right? Right now, you probably have a ton of stuff going on, pricing and packaging at ClickUp. Give me a sense for what's working for you today. What's bearing fruit? 
Yeah. I mean, I'm going to say that the reason, you know, the main, main reason I came to click up is because it is one of the fastest growing PLG companies out there. True, true PLG. There's a lot of companies that's out there that are like, and for those that don't know, it's product-led growth, right? You think of companies that are like, yeah, like we think we're PLG, but their product is, you know, takes three months handholding, takes five people to onboard them. They don't even see the value until year two. That is not PLG, right? Pickup is true, true PLG. And I wanted to see, I want to see the magic. Like I wanted to see how it was really done, you know? And it's so funny because I, I talk to a lot of different companies, um, you know, and they know that, that, uh, that I'm at Pickup and they're like, how do we switch from, you know, traditional model to a PLG model? I tell them like, that's hard. Like it's really, really hard to go from that, you know, to traditional to PLG, especially if your product isn't built for it. And that's the thing that people have to understand, right? And so you're right. If you want to go PLG or product led growth, you got to have the right product to do that. Not every product can, can pull that off. And I remember ClickUp. I mean, even back when you guys started, you know, it was like, it was five bucks. Folks were getting in there. It was, it was pretty, pretty generous free plan getting in there. And you were fighting in a super crowded space with some behemoths in it yeah. and still got a really fast acceleration growth. I think the story is amazing on how you got there. So if you had to think about your true PLG at ClickUp, what is working that's making it so such a smooth growth mechanism for you guys? Yeah, I think I think the first I, there's, a, there's a couple of components, right? I think the first thing is the ability to see value very quick, and I think that's the the primary primary thing of what makes a successful PLG just basically hum, right? If you think of like going to the product, I mean, within days, I'm not talking about you know traditional SaaS where it takes you like a year and plus onboarding within days you have to be able to realize the value right and so if you look at a lot of our conversions a lot of our conversions are actually very front-loaded because customers they come in and they're just like well mind blown i'm gonna get in here i'm gonna start you know um uh, start creating tasks i'm gonna start tagging other people in i'm gonna just start doing work in this platform and then it just like hits this inflection point where it's like it clicks in the head like, well, I can do work in here. This is going to make me more productive. I see the value. And then after that, at that point, you know, seven, 10, $15 is like nothing, right? It's like, yeah, I'm more than willing to pay for this. It's like, it's like less than Netflix, right? And so they'll, they'll, they'll gladly do it. And so I think that's what makes it really, really special is being able to see the value very quickly. Yeah. I mean, I throw a funny pun in there, right? I mean, it clicks very fast, right? For ClickUp. If you think about it, the, Ability to do PLG great is showing that value early, but not every product can do that, right? And so there's different value cycles. Some value comes peaks and troughs, you know, seasonality. Some value comes way up front. Some value comes way behind. And some of it just kind of grows, you know, kind of steady over time. As you use more of it, you get more value. And that's kind of the best model for, for SaaS and subscription. And you get access to this thing, you use it, you get more value over time. But the thing about PLG is that it's got to be so damn obvious. And so you said, no, not, not months, not weeks, days. I got to figure out if this product is for me. Get to wow. So, so that way they can begin to have a click in their mind that life is so much better with this than without this. Let's go. Right. Exactly. And, um, not every product can do it. You're absolutely exactly. right. Exactly. Exactly. Phenomenal. Phenomenal. So let me ask you, what's that, uh, <laughs> secret sauce or secret weapon in that, in that freemium or in that early entry point in your product led growth that, Kind of get some like, oh crap, yeah, this 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 is for me. 
Yeah, yeah. I think the secret sauce, and I, I got to give our CEO credit because this is not my idea. This is actually the first time I've actually seen it. Is we have a really good right, feature is very very generous. People can up and you know do you know a lot of you know basic task management in there. Um, and one idea he had was to combine paywalls, like hard feature paywalls, with usage paywalls. So like give them a little taste, right? Mm-hmm. Because you're gonna have these power users that are going to go in and just explore. They're going to explore themselves because they're like, I'm starting to see the value of this. I understand the basics. I want to start looking at some of the, you know, more richer features that's going to make it, you know, a little bit more um, advanced for my maturity. Don't, don't gate that. Let them have a taste of it. Right. And so they start using it, you know, like, you know, 50 times, a hundred times, and then hit them with a paywall and then get them basically to upgrade and, um, you know, or to get them paid. I think that's actually brilliant because I think a lot of companies are just like, no, I'm just going to completely gate the entire feature and not even let them see it. They don't even know it's there. There's some merit to that. But if your product is that intuitive and they're going to explore, let them do it. No, 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 man. You you are so right. You're so right. Listen, there's a you just brought up this idea of taste over toggle. All right. Taste over toggle. Listen to this, right? This works really well. I want to get in, show it to me. Let me understand it. Let me feel it, right? Is this good? You don't have to give away the whole farm, right? Just give me a taste. It could be X number of something. It could be time-based. It could be, there could be something that kind of lets them get in, understand it, and then realize, hmm, I actually want this. This is going to improve. And that's where it starts to kind of pushing them over. But you're giving them a lot of leeway in the free to do stuff, right? You're saying, oh, the free is not... It's not a overly constrained. It's not too bare bones and skinny because where the, I guess the realization and light bulb comes on is you've given me a lot of this freedom. You let me do stuff. And that gives me this sort of sensation of exploration. Now I can want to explore. What else can I do? What else can I do? What else can I do? And if you overly constrain it from the very get go, but then you can't even get that far. You don't even get the sensation of exploration. But if you give them generous, a generous amount here, the generosity helps. Then you start giving them tastes of that next version, that paid version. That's what gets them over. I think that's brilliant. Everybody just listen, rewind for the next uh, three minutes and just listen to that because that is a phenomenal way to get folks over and it's working today. Clearly, what about going forward, future? Let's fast forward for a second here. So, you know, the curse of people like you and me who see so many pricing models is that we know there's a way to improve it. Like there's... It's working, but there's probably ways we can ex- extract more value or make it simpler or do whatever. So what do you think is is next for ClickUp on a pricing packaging frontier? Yeah, I, I think the next big, big rock is seeing if this you know whole productivity space starts branching out to be more multi-product, mm-hmm. right? Because right now, all the players are very you know single-threaded, just like how marketing automation space was back in the day, right? It was just one product. There's a couple of use cases, obviously, but then what we're starting to see, and I think the other players in the space are starting to see as well, but what ClickUp's starting to see is there's starting to be these different uh, types of users, these different ICPs, these different types of uh, use cases. And so because of that, eventually, I think what's going to end up happening is, you know, ClickUp along with, you know, uh, other solutions are going to start going multi-product and multi-threaded, right? And so... It's going to eventually evolve into this platform and apps model, just like I've seen in my previous, you know, um, uh, careers. But once you get to that stage, then, you know, you can do like what we did at Marketo, right? Speak to different kind of audiences, different kinds of use cases, and then charge differently for each of the use cases. And so that's what I want to get there eventually. But I think, you know, this 
productivity industry itself is still in its infancy. Right? Still very, very early on. And we haven't, you know, nobody's really made that jump yet. I think everyone's kind of like holding back and seeing like who's going to make that jump first, right? It, it is going to make a jump. But I see what you're seeing, right, which is there's so many uh, tangentials when it comes to collaborating and communicating and, uh, and sort of owning those pieces. And today you have different folks solving different problems. And then slowly, I mean, over time, you're going to see like the expansion of maybe solving these problems together in one tool and exactly. the benefit of integrating them and the benefit exactly. of, of spanning, you know, maybe multiple user types or, or ICPs or, or ideal customer profiles right in there. And so that's going to introduce more complexity into the model. And so if you don't have a good idea of which features add value where, the audiences you want to serve, um, the, the different ways to, to, to tantalize folks and move them up into the paid plans, when things start adding in complexity, it gets really muddy and hard. But with a good foundation, you can decide where you want to add the complexity in order to create more routes of growth without overcomplicating things for, for sales and for people and PLG for that user. You still want to keep it super simple and super quick to the wow. Exactly, exactly, right. And that is, you know, if you think of monetization, that is, you know, it's it's benefit for them and benefit for us too, right? We're building all these new features with all these new use cases, and we're constantly innovating. And because you're constantly innovating, it's going to get to a point where like you need some ROI on that, right? And so you got to monetize that. And, you know, once you get to that point where it's true multi-product, that, that's where the money comes in. This was crazy. Absolutely crazy. This is like 10 episodes of pricing podcasts in one, right? So we talked about the, the, the multiple hurdles you had to go through with revamping pricing. We talked a little bit about PLG testing pricing out there with sales. We talked about, you know, going multi-product. I mean, we covered the full spectrum, man. Just wow. thinking about your background, right? We just covered all those pieces. So I got to get to uh, one of my favorite questions, which is what is your favorite song, uh, favorite song growing up? Hip hop is a bonus, but yeah, yeah. If you think like '90s hip hop, I'm gonna go with Tupac. However, you know, recently though, recently I was like shopping and I heard Coolio with uh, "Gangsters Paradise," and I was like, I mean, that 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 brought back some. I was like, okay, I was like, that that feels that feels really good, and so I'm gonna go with that because like that brought back. I mean, I used to. When that song first came out, it was listening to like VP for like weeks, right? And so, so it was just paradise. Because it was on the radio for like ever from weeks. For, yeah, for weeks. <laughs> he said Coolio. I think you might be the first one to say Coolio. I would tell you though that that particular song is what really drove hip hop in mainstream. I mean, everybody loved that song, whether you yeah. like hip hop or not. Yeah, 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 that yeah, beat, yeah. you know, the whole thing, Michelle Pfeiffer in the video, everything exactly. was on with that song, man. No, thank you. For for that one and also coming in here today dropping real knowledge i mean going way even way back for like 10 years ago you know big i gave you a high five then with my five out of five score and i'll give you another one now right just for yeah. all the awesome <laughs> stuff you're doing today listen i hope folks take this and some of those big fat question marks in their mind when it comes to rolling out testing and pushing pricing and whether it's sales or plg they take this and and they do something with it so for everyone out there listening thanks for joining today and please stop the guesswork and stop guessing and start moving on and grow. All right, everybody, until next Thank time. Thank you and see much you then. love for listening to the Street Pricing Podcast with Marcos Rivera. We hope you enjoyed this episode and don't forget to like and subscribe. If you want to learn more about capturing value, pick up a copy of Street Pricing on Amazon. Until next time.